uh, welcome to all of our alumni. So, so grateful and so glad that you're here uh, and that you're able to worship with us this morning. Um, I was asked to make one quick announcement the, to the uh, members of the class of 1968. Um, you are going to be meeting on Chapel Lawn immediately after chapel. So, um, happy anniversary, I believe, right? 68? That's a lot of years, but like a 10-year increment. Yeah. <clears throat> So Pastor Joan Novenson was here a couple of weeks ago in chapel. Um, I've been thinking about how to introduce uh, this passage. I'll just tell you um, where I'm at and why uh, we're looking at James chapter 4 today. Uh, Pastor Novenson talked about um, the gospel, and he talked about um, our greatest um, pitfall uh, is apathy, um, about holding on to the gospel um, and letting it sit inside of us. Um, but then letting it grow cold. And uh, as we are assaulted, um, if you will, uh, by the world, as we live in a, a culture that um, seeks to honor and uplift self and not Jesus Christ, I was, I was deeply cut to the quick. And the Holy Spirit of God has been challenging me and calling me into deeper relationship with him. Um, he has been convicting me and giving me a, a desire in my heart to know him better and to know his word better. And this is the passage that I've been sitting in lately. It's James chapter 4. It's a short passage, but it's a powerful and beautiful passage. Um, it starts, I've got a whole bunch of stuff here. Uh, it starts with a word um, that oftentimes conjures up hard things for people. It starts with submit. Submit yourselves then to God. In the context that James is writing in, James is writing to Christians. He's writing to believers, people who profess faith in the risen Christ. But they're having troubles within the church. They're fighting and they're quarreling. Um, they are, are dealing with selfish ambition. And they are living lives that are focused on self. And they are, fo they are living as lovers of the world and professors of Christ. And James says to them, here's how you are supposed to live as believers. Submit yourselves to God. And when we talk about submission, uh, for me that's kind of a, a hard word. I've never been good at submitting. Um, but we look to our King and we look to Jesus and his example of submission, who lived a life of submission far beyond what I think we could even get our minds around. He who submitted his human nature to his divine, his mind, emotion, and will, in perfect submission to his divine mind, emotion, and will, walking in perfect harmony in one personhood under, under the glory of God the Father, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He despised shame and sat down at the right hand of God. But he came down not to do his own will, but to do the will of the Father. He said, Father, if you're willing, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. So James calls us to a submission to God, and we look to Christ as our example. But that call to submit, even when we see that Jesus uh, set that example for us, is hard. But I don't want us to be deceived. And hear this, everyone lives a life of submission. Every single person 
in every age, in every generation, is in submission to one of two things. We're living lives of submission to the living God, or we are living lives of submission to the devil. There is no neutral ground. We are either slaves to sin and the devil, or we are servants of the, of the king. 1 John 3 talks about this. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. No middle ground. We are living lives of submission. And James calls us, submit yourselves then to God. Remember who you are. And it is a sweet invitation because the submission is not submission as conquered enemies. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit of God, apart from the quickening of our hearts, we are God's enemies because he's holy and he's just and he's righteous and we are liars and we are thieves and we are murderers and we have wicked hearts and we stand in opposition to him in every way. And, and, and I know that is true about myself. I know that I am an enemy of God apart from the quickening power of the Holy Spirit of God. Before Jesus introduced himself to me and gave me a new heart, I stood in opposition to the love and the law of God. And that is who we are as human beings. Paul reminds us in Romans 5 that while it's true that we're enemies, Jesus doesn't conquer us. He doesn't make us subjects. He doesn't destroy us. But we were in fact reconciled to him. We were made right with him, not by our death, not by the death of our children, not by the blood which deserved to be spilled, but through the death of his son. And how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Think about this. Think about this reality, right? With a single word, a soft-spoken word, the Son of God could have called every human being who'd ever lived in all of existence up from the grave and by force caused every one of us to bend our knee to him. But he doesn't do that. Instead, God sends his own son in whom he was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on heaven, on earth, he made peace through his shed blood. So James calls us, submit, not as conquered ones, but submit because he conquered the rule and the reign of sin and death that bound us, and he has made us children. So he tells us to submit, and then he tells us how to submit. What does it actually look like? What do you do? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. When we are faced with the world, he tells us how we are to submit. And we have to remember our struggle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And I will tell you this. The devil is smarter. The devil is more logical. The devil is more calculating. He is far better looking than any of us in this room. We are told to resist him. How on earth can we resist him 
when we can't even master our own tongues, when we can't even master our own desires, how are we going to resist the devil? And again, we follow the example of Jesus. When he was tempted in the wilderness by the devil, he at every turn spoke the promises of God that were found in Scripture. He recited Scripture to the devil. And the devil laid before him real, honest temptations, things that tempted him. But at every turn, he came back to the devil with Scripture. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is written, you shall not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. Depart, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. Jesus answered Satan at every temptation with Scripture, with the promises and the words of God. And if we have any hope at all that we are going to resist the devil, we have to be people of the word. We have to be reading. We have to be memorizing. We have to be meditating so that it is what we think and live and chew and breathe. Because what we think on will shape our affections, which will direct our desires, which will direct our actions. And that is Jonathan Edwards. Resist the devil and he will flee from us as he fled from Jesus in the wilderness. And then you've got this beautiful picture. Look at this. Resist the devil and the devil flees. But then the promises come near to God and he comes near to us. How amazing is that? Come near to God and he will come near to you. But the question, again, how do you do it, right? How do we actually come near to God? It's not some arbitrary statement. It's not ethereal and kind of out there. We follow, again, the example of our Christ. We follow the example of Jesus. Jesus drew into the Father in prayer. He went away to be alone with the Father. In knowledge of the Word, in proclamation of the Word, in loving others, in fellowship, and in community. We have the ordinary means of grace where we get to sit under the read and the preached word of God, where we get to partake of the sacraments. But it is essential that the word dwells richly within us, that we know God's word, that we know his teaching, that we know his revelation, that we can understand and know the character and the offices and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Come near to God who invites us in, who stands at the door and knocks and remember, that's for believers. Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. That's for us, not a call to unbelievers. Come near to God and he will be gracious and come near to you. And how beautiful and stunning is that? So many times uh, early in my Christian life, I would, I would pray that I could just have one vision or I could see a miracle. That my faith would be bolstered if I had some kind of tangible visible proof but God here offers something far greater he says you don't need to see me he says draw near to me and I'll draw near to you in my power my peace my very presence will sit with you that, that's not an empty dogmatic statement that's the promise of God for every one of us here if we draw near to him he will draw near to us that is experiential religion. It is the joy of life in the presence of God. And it doesn't mean circumstantial happiness in all things, but it does mean sober joy in the midst of whatever the world throws at us. The best invitation that I received within the last year 
was at General Assembly. Uh, we were in Atlanta, and we were in, uh, we were in a hotel, and I got a text on my phone that said, uh, Grant, walk out the front door of the hotel, turn left, go up two streets, turn left again, walk down on the right hand of the street, there's a phone booth. Go inside of the phone booth and dial this number. And there was a number there, and it said, wait 20 to 30 seconds. I know the person that the text came from. He's sitting actually in the front row. Uh, a dear friend of mine. So it was trustworthy. So I walked up two streets with my friend Eric McDaniel. We walked over two streets, down, and there, sure enough, is a red phone booth like attached to a wall. No signs, nothing, just a red phone booth. So Eric and I cram into this phone booth, pick it up. Sure enough, there's a dial tone. Um, dial the number, hang it up, and start waiting. 5, 10, 15, 20, about 25 seconds in, the wall that the phone is on goes and opens up, and a woman says, welcome. And there is the most beautiful cigar lounge I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Deep, dark, mahogany wood. The, the dude behind the bar has like the full tuxedo sleeves with the black thing around his arm. He's shaking something up. And Jimbo Mullen is sitting over in this big leather chair with a cigar the size of my arm. Um, so I walk in. Uh, I still had uh, clothes on from uh, a meeting that I had been in. And Eric McDaniel walks in behind me and she says, oh, sorry, sir. Shorts and sandals, you're not allowed in. Conditional entrance, right? Uh, so we turned around and left and Jimbo and I went back later. Um, the best invitation that I had gotten but it was conditional. And here's the thing, the best invitation that could have ever rung in the ears of the people that James was writing to and to us is draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But there's a condition. To come into the presence of God, you can't just come as you are, right? You have to come with a pure heart and you have to come with clean deeds. So James says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Right out of Psalm 24, Psalm of David, who said, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? In other words, who can actually be in the presence of God? Can anyone just be in the presence of God? No. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. And the professing believers that James is writing to, they'd become double-minded. They'd profess Jesus, but they were loving the world. Remember, you can't have the two because those who love the world don't love God. So he says here, wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. You need to make yourself right before God. Well, how do you do that? Again, he tells us what to do, and then he's going to tell us how to do it. Here's how you do it. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. You must repent. And there is no repentance apart from the cross, where Jesus shed his blood for our sins, where he paid a price for our redemption that we could never pay on our own. We have to repent. We have to repent. When we look to the cross, the place of repentance, something happens. We see the holiness and the humility and the love of Jesus Christ and God the Father. And when we see it, we also recognize the depth of our sin that held him there on the cross. And it begins to give us a clear view of who we are 
and how we stand before a holy God, that we stand broken and sinful. We stand as wretched sinners with wicked hearts. That is how we stand before God. But when his Holy Spirit comes in and quickens us, and we are given new hearts, and we still choose the world, James is saying you need to see the world correctly and you need to see your own sin correctly. He says you have to grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Grieve, mourn, and wail over your sin. Jeremiah used to say, be devastated by the sin in your hearts. And again, Jesus is our example, right? He didn't look at the sin in his own life because there was none. But when he saw the sin in the world, what did he do? You remember at the tomb with Lazarus? He's walking up, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. But it wasn't a quiet weeping like that which Mary and Martha were doing. No, the, the scripture makes it clear that he's wailing and mourning. That that's to be our posture when we see the sin in the world and the sin in our lives. It is right for us to be ravaged by sin. It is right for us to be devastated by sin. In fact, that's the only way. There is no room for mediocrity, for warmth when it comes to sin. There is no casual attitude allowed when it comes to sin. There's no place for foolish laughing and senseless rejoicing when we see ourselves clearly before a holy God. What sin makes us, what it makes us do, the backwardness of the world, the corruption of the Imago Dei, it doesn't take much, but we need to allow ourselves to be shattered by the sin that we see around us and by the sin, more importantly, that is within us. So grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning, change your joy to gloom, and then he brings it home. And he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, now that you have a right view of yourself, a right view of your sin, with a heart of grief at our positions before God, James calls us to humble ourselves. And what does it mean to humble ourselves? How do you humble yourself? It's very, very easy. All it simply means is be honest about who you are. That's it. That's what humility is. Humility is being honest at the depth of our sin, and our need for a savior. Being wholly and utterly dependent upon God for all things. And that, that's true freedom. Being humble before God about our need, that is when we are free. Because we confess who we truly are, we confess we can't do anything of our own accord or our own power, and we give it all to Christ. Yesterday, yesterday? Yesterday group of us had lunch down at Purple Daisy, and um, a guy came up uh, from the street and asked us for $10. And uh, one of the guys we were there with, and it was, it was an amazing thing happened. He asked him, um, brother, what's your name? And the guy said, James. And a uh, friend said, James, if you died today and you stood before the throne of God and God asked you, why he should let you into his eternal kingdom, what would you say? And James said, well, because I'm a good person and I do good things. This is almost word for word exact quote. 
And a uh, friend said, um, James, have you ever told a lie? I said, no, sir, I haven't. I said, James, have you ever stolen anything? No, sir, I haven't. James, have you ever been angry with another person? He said, no, sir, I haven't. And it was the most humbling. It was so sad because he couldn't be honest about his sin. It couldn't be humble before us, much less before God. But here's the beauty. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and then something amazing happens. Hear this. That foolish laughter, that empty joy that you had when you were loving the world, it gets replaced with being lifted up by God himself. And picture this. This is a picture of God not just coming near, but a picture of God reaching down into the sin and darkness, grabbing you, pulling you out of it, lifting you up like a dad lifts up his child and looks at him and says, mine. Yeah. God will lift us up. And again, we're following the example of Jesus who was lifted up at the cross that we might be lifted up to God. Right? He was lifted up from the grave that we might be lifted up into the hope of the resurrection of the dead. He was lifted up to the right hand of the Father that we might be lifted up to the status of child and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. God promises, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Humble yourselves. Simply be honest about who you are and how much need you have. And I will lift you up. The world's promises are empty. And we will submit one way or another, whether it's to the devil or whether it's to God. And you may think I'm stretching that, pressing a little bit too far. You may feel in your heart like there is no way that I am submitting to the devil. But if you are submitting to self, and you are not submitting to the risen Christ, you are submitting to the ways of the world and the prince of the power of this world. It's not an exaggeration. As believers, of those who have been redeemed, those who have been given new hearts, Submit yourselves to God. Draw near to God. Resist the devil. Let God lift you up. And I pray that for all of us, he will call us into deep and sweet communion with him, that it will be the thing we desire more than any other thing in this world. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you take broken vessels and that you use us, that you give us words to speak, um, words that pale in comparison to the perfect revelation of you in your holy word. Father, I pray that the words spoken this morning um, will be your words and that your work will be done through them. Let anything that came of my power fall like ash to the ground, but I pray, Father, that your words will reach deeply into our hearts will call us deeply to you. And help us, Lord, to be people who submit that we might be lifted up. By your Holy Spirit, Lord, call us into deeper relationship with you. Convict us of our sin and remind us of the grace that you've given to us. Be with us by your power, we pray. In the name of Jesus and by his Holy Spirit, amen. Please stand. We're going to sing all for Jesus, and Jane is going to rock it on the organ. 
Um, I don't sing well, so if you turn my mic off, that'd be great. I, somebody told me that you need to be able to see when to start, so I'll do that.